0: Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 13 verses 34 and 35 and verses 44 to 46. And if you'd like to read it along, it can be found on page six of your bulletin. We're going to read in English and Spanish today. Matthew 13. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it.
1: Buenos dias. La lectura de hoy viene de Mateo capítulo 13, versículo 34 al 35 y 44 al 46. Todo esto habló Jesús en parábolas a las multitudes y sin parábolas no les hablaba, de manera que se cumplió lo dicho por medio del profeta diciendo: "Abriré mi boca con parábolas, publicaré cosas que han estado ocultas desde la fundación del mundo." El reino de los cielos es semejante a un tesoro escondido en el campo, que un hombre descubrió y luego escondió, y con regocijo va, vende todo lo que tiene y compra aquel campo. Además, el reino de los cielos es semejante a un comerciante que buscaba perlas finas, y habiendo encontrado una perla de gran valor, fue y vendió todo lo que tenía y la compró.
2: Thank you, Rachel and Elmer. Let's pray together as we come before God's word. Let's bow our heads. We take a deep breath, Lord, because already there's been much that we've pondered in this service. But even more than that, we admit there's much on our minds, much on our hearts, much in our lives. So we don't come as blank slates. We come as people with burdens, troubles, joys, events, to-do lists, all these things. We don't leave them at the door. You want to be the king of grace over all these things. We don't leave these things at the door. We bring them before you. We lay them down at your feet. We lay our lives down at your feet. And we ask that you would speak into these things. Relevantly, personally, powerfully, transformatively. And so, Jesus, come and send your spirit and bring to us a word that ministers to each of us personally and to all of us collectively. Your word gives us life. That's your promise. Oh, Lord, give us life. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. It was my favorite ball. My favorite ball in the third grade, was just a simple black and white soccer ball. You know, objectively, especially as I look back upon that ball now, I notice it wasn't anything really of any great quality. It was just made of cheap rubber. I remember it made a funny noise when I kicked it every time, but it was mine. I carefully wrote my name on it with a dark marker and wrote it again and again each time that name wore off. And I brought that ball to school. I'd place it carefully at sort of the edge of the recess ball box, the side closest to my seat, just to make sure that none of the other kids got to it too fast, so that none of them would play with it during recess themselves. Of course, they were welcome to play with every every other ball and toy in that box. The four square balls, the footballs, other soccer balls, the jump ropes, the hula hoops. I didn't care. As far as I was concerned, my hands and my heart was full. There was no room for anything else but my precious ball. That's a small example, maybe a slightly silly one, but I think maybe one example that continues to raise important questions to my own heart, even as an adult, that makes you wonder, what's the most valuable thing to you? What's the most valuable thing to you for which you would be willing to give up everything else? Uh, What's that something that I love so much, that I want so much? An accomplishment, a title, a relationship, a reputation, a proverbial third grade ball that I want so much that I'd be willing to give up everything else in order to get it and then to keep it. Every one of us, you know, has something like that. What is it? For you. That's the big question of today's passage from Matthew chapter 13. This is the first in a new sermon series that we're starting today on the parables of Jesus. And you say, well, maybe I'm new to the Bible. What's a parable? A parable is simply a a short, fictitious story. That has a deeper spiritual meaning. It was one of Jesus' favorite ways of teaching. As the first verse in our passage here says, Jesus spoke all these things to crowds in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. And so time and again in different ways, in different times, Jesus taught. And he told stories about a farmer sowing seeds on the ground. Or about a friend that was throwing a grand banquet for his acquaintances. Or a traveler who got mugged tragically on a dangerous road. Or a manager who was investing money. Or a widow that was pleading with a judge for justice. Or a shepherd who happened to lose one of his sheep. See, these were situations that this mostly Jewish crowd that Jesus was teaching, that they would have been familiar with. He's connecting with their daily lives in order to teach them, to teach us about who God is and about who we are and about that salvation that Jesus himself came to bring. Today, we're looking at one of the shortest, really two of the shortest of all of Jesus's parables. They're also among the sweetest of his parables. You heard it earlier, but they go something like this. There's a man who discovers a treasure hidden in a field, as we're told in verse 44. Apparently, he found it by accident, wasn't really looking for it. But immediately, he recognizes its immense value. It's treasure like no other in the world. And he wants it so badly, but he also recognizes the treasure doesn't belong to him, not yet anyway. And the only way to make it his was for him to buy the plot of land in which the treasure was buried. And so he covers it back up because he doesn't want anyone else to take it. And then full of excitement and full of joy, he goes out and liquidates all of his possessions. Sells everything he has So that he can buy that field and gain that treasure. Finally, it's his. Similarly, there's a merchant, Jesus says, who was looking for fine pearls. We're told this in verse 45. Now, unlike the man that we just described who found the hidden treasure, this merchant was actually looking for pearls. Uh, Who knows how long he'd been searching But then one day he finally found what he was looking for, a pearl of great value, of incomparable value, more precious than he had ever seen. So just like the other fellow, he sold everything, sold everything in order to be able to buy that precious pearl. And what is it then that Jesus is saying that is so valuable? That's so precious that when you discover it, you'd be willing to give up everything else in order to have it. What's the treasure? What's the pearl of great value? It's the kingdom. In verse 44, we're told this, the kingdom of heaven is like the treasure hidden in the field. And in verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. What's the kingdom of heaven? That's a funny phrase. Well, it isn't any earthly kingdom like a geopolitical nation, some country. No, that's not the kingdom. And the kingdom of heaven isn't heaven itself. Rather, it's when heaven starts to break into life here on earth. The kingdom is the royal reign of Jesus. It's what the Bible tells us life is like when Jesus is king. And what this means is that this parable or these two parables are inviting us to consider two things. Inviting us into two things. First, seeing the all-surpassing worth of the king. Do you see it? Do you see him? And then secondly, surrendering all things for the king. First, we're invited to see the all-surpassing worth of the king. And then secondly, as a result of that, we're invited to surrender all things for the sake of the king. So first of all, what do you see? We're told in verse 44, again, when a man found it, he hid it, again, this treasure. He, he, he sees its value as soon as he, I don't know, takes the shovel and runs into it or digs with his hands and sees the top of the box or the jewels and gems or coins inside. We don't know exactly, but almost immediately he is able to appraise its value, uh, sort of assess that it's of value incomparable worth and so much so that he immediately decides to hide it not because he's being selfish but because he's being jealous to have it he wants no one else to take it he wants the chance to get a hold of this treasure because he sees what it's worth and the same with this merchant in verse 46 when he found one a pearl of great value he went out to sell everything he had in order to get that precious pearl So what do you see in the God that's revealed in the story of the Bible? Do you see him as precious, as being of incomparable worth? Uh, Whether if you're someone that just happens to discover him, Maybe almost accidentally, some of you perhaps today are wondering, what am I doing here? Who brought me here? And that's okay. That's the story of a lot of us. When God kind of intrudes in our lives lovingly and shows up in ways we did not anticipate, like this man with a shovel. Or maybe for some of us, it's a long journey, a search that you've been making Maybe for years, maybe months, maybe your whole life, and you still haven't found what you're looking for. That's Bono and the Bible. Searching for something of great worth, something that would reveal itself to be of such value that it's worth giving your life. Maybe that's what brought you to Washington, D.C. Maybe if you grew up here, that's why you're trying to get out of Washington, D.C. We're all on our different journeys of discovery. What do you discover in this king and his kingdom? This is a little bit of what we're told all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, all throughout the Bible. We're told that this is a king, King Jesus. Who, like every good king, defeats and defends you against all your worst enemies. By which I'm meaning primarily the enemy of sin. That's that cancer in your soul that's also going by the name of selfishness. It's another way of saying that we all our lives just by instinct want to be our own king. And so we're in constant rejection of God. And yet here is Jesus, who, as our king... Pays the price for our sins. He dies in our place for all of our treasonous rebellion against him. You see, every other king out there executes someone for their guilt of treason. Jesus is the only king who is executed himself for our treason. The, the king of grace, the king of forgiveness, who dies in order to free you from your lifelong tyranny to guilt. This king who in fact dies and therefore through his death gives you victory over death itself by dying and then rising again. He now gives you with him the power to reign over even that terrifying power of death that looms over everything in our lives but what if death has no more power over us whether on the other what if on the other side of death is eternal life life indestructible and everlasting what if this king frees you what if through his grace you're finally free from the tyranny of the fear of death and he's a king of course that Brings you into his kingdom under his gracious reign. And yet doesn't leave you on the outskirts in the fields. He brings you into the palace. He gives you his name. He seats you at his seat, at his table, in his chair, a place on his own throne. You're seated on his royal throne, you see. You've got status that you can barely believe. Glory and honor an exalted place. Which if you would dare to believe it, that this too can be a gift of God's grace to you through King Jesus that maybe then he might free us from being ruled day by day and relationship to relationship and choice by choice And conversation to conversation, ruled over as we are, by the lust for recognition. Don't you want to be free? A king who promises now to pray over you, does not abandon you. Who exerts all of his kingly power now, not for his own good, but to sustain you. Jesus is praying for you even now. There is not a moment that you go by, not a trial that you face, that you face alone. He is Emmanuel, his grand nickname given to him from birth. God with us, with you, in his presence and in his prayers. He frees you from that experience of ever feeling like you are alone. He's brought you then into his family given you a status not just of glory and exaltation, but brought you into the inner room of the affection of his heart. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. He's made you a child of the king. Do you stand before the world with that sort of confidence and freedom and peace? You're a child of the king. And he brings you then into a family, which means new relationships, That even when you feel like you're losing all energy and all focus and and all direction in life because you don't know who to turn to and where to go, here now finally you have relationships that you can count on. Not right away because we're all growing to be like our king. But he brings us into a family that's marked by, characterized by, defined by service, love, and mutual honor. Which, if you think about it, is what we all long for in our relationships. Don't you long through this king to finally be freed from the tyranny of backbiting and envy and mutual exploitation? Don't you want to know relationships even beyond the walls of the church, where people are being lifted up, where the weak are being remembered, where the lowly are being lifted, where names are remembered? Where resources and goods are exchanged in such a way that everyone has needs met and everyone gives glory to the King Jesus himself. The King who continues to rule and reign over all things. He is in control, even weaving every circumstance of your life, if you bear his name. Weaving every circumstance together for your good. So that you don't any longer need to be ruled By fear and anxiety. Wondering what's coming around the corner. Wondering if that's finally going to be the thing that does you in. But you can live with freedom. And purpose. And direction. Being a part of even his mission of extending his kingdom. Even beyond your life and beyond your relationships to the whole world. Because this king, you see, isn't... Satisfied simply to have a people for himself, he wants to remake a whole place for himself, indeed the whole world. He's remaking this world in his image, renewing it, stamping out pockets of evil that continue to exist, renewing relationships, turning inside out institutions that are set up to glorify itself. And rather now, in Jesus name, will be turned up to the glory of the king. In every way, this is the mission and the purpose and indeed the invitation of Jesus, the king, as he calls us into his kingdom, as he presents to us this, this gift after gift, after blessing, after blessing, after promise, after promise. And, and here's the greatest thing of all, that everything that we have just enumerated about the king and his kingdom, and this is only the beginning of the list that we find in scripture. This is what caps it all off. It's all yours by grace, free, not something you need to earn, not something that you need to to bribe God for with your moral effort or by your impressive life or your resume of world change that you are affecting effectively every day of your lives. It's given to you. You and me, closet failures. You and me, weary and broken people. You and me, that if we're really honest about that moral and professional resume, it's not that great. In fact, it would disqualify us time and again, ad nauseum, ad infinitum. It would disqualify us from any favor of this king of glory and of grace. It is all by his grace. It is all a gift. Beloved, this is a question. Is This is He precious to you. Is this part of what you are learning to be the all surpassing glory and wonder, blessing of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord and as Savior? you understand what this is teaching us is that becoming a Christian for one becoming a Christian isn't just about doing the right things following the pattern of the king and his kingdom morality it's not even just believing the right things about him who he is and what he came to do becoming a Christian is knowing these things And then experiencing the power. Of them being precious to you. See a lot of you. A lot of us. Know the facts about the king. Know the facts about the kingdom. And yet you have not opened wide your heart in such a way. That they have become precious. To you. This is what makes one a Christian. When you finally see. And then savor, prize, treasure, Jesus. And don't you see this also means that this is the secret of growing as a Christian as well. Not just becoming a Christian, but growing as a Christian too. This is the nature of the kingdom. That as you desire to see more and more of the reign of Christ in your life. Don't you see that it doesn't start with just bucking up more or doing more activities or trying a little bit harder. It begins with seeing that Christ is precious. Lord, give us eyes to see. We need to see all over again. Some of us of us need to slow down not only our schedules, but even the pace of our hearts. Slow down enough to take him all in. To, to, to savor like you would a... What do you savor? A good cough drop. It's coughing season. We need to talk about this. Or a good steak. Or for some of you, a spoonful of quinoa. I don't know what your thing is. You toss it and you turn it around in your mouth. You suck on it and you think about it. You tell yourself it's good. And you tell yourself again. Will you slow down your calendars and more importantly your hearts enough to savor the goodness of the king? And what this parable is telling us is if and when we do that... We'll take this part a little bit more quickly. If and when we do that, we will find ourselves, we will find ourselves surrendering all things for the king. You see, in verse 44, in his joy, this man who discovered this treasure went out and sold all he had and bought that field. In verse 46, the merchant, upon finding this treasure, of, this pearl of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and bought it. You see, here's the simple logic to it all. You can only have one king. Here is a call to wholehearted devotion to Christ. It calls out our half-heartedness, doesn't it? Some of us who are trying to carefully find ways to acknowledge Jesus as c- counselor, king, king, advisor, uh, recommender, um, consultant, but I'm still king. Uh, Some of us who want to acknowledge Jesus in some fashion, and yet the thing we really bow our knee to is our stuff, is the success of our children, is the success of our own careers, is the relationship that we've always felt like we need and maybe even deserve. These things that we treat as the true king, the functional king of our lives. Jesus says, if you truly see me for who I really am, and you savor my kingdom, and you see me as precious in you, lay down your lives before me in worship and in love. There will be no other room for any other king. And almost as a natural overflow, you see, we can take this almost as a command and an arm twisting. Give it all up. But there's a spiritual dynamic in the heart that Jesus is pointing to that if you really take in the king for all that he is, if you really have spiritual eyes to see him for all that he promises to be for us, if you really savor the preciousness of Christ, your grip opens up. You let go of everything because you finally have a hold of the one thing, the one thing. And so we give up everything here in this parable of course the metaphor that's used is the giving up of physical possessions liquidating of one's goods in order to pay for this field in order to pay for this pearl and of course the implication is not that there's anything wrong with money or having money or even lots of it the question is do you savor it or maybe it's not even money itself maybe it's what money purchases for you control comfort a name what are these things that today you might be invited to give up to surrender surrendering all things for the king as a natural outflow of seeing him precious above all things it might be giving up possessions it might be giving the right of having authority over your own life calling the shots it might be giving up That that illusion of control that we so cling to. Which paradoxically, of course, the more that life takes away that sense of control, the firmer our grip on it becomes. It might be giving up some aspect of your identity, some part of who you are. It might be giving up something about relationships. Maybe an unhealthy relationship, maybe even a healthy one that you're holding in your heart's. In an unhealthy way. Maybe if it's status. Maybe it's what's driving you day to day. Maybe it's a life of comfort that you feel like you deserve. Uh, Maybe it's carefreeness that, that you feel like Jesus owes you. Here's a call that reminds us that being a Christian is an invitation to die. As Jesus himself said, if anyone would follow after me, he must take up his cross. That's his execution chair. Deny himself and follow me. For whoever would cling to his life, try to gain his own life, will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Laying everything down in order to gain Jesus. Jesus. And don't you know, don't we know, that whatever you're most unwilling to give up, guess what? That's precisely what is serving as your treasure, as your king. What's that thing in your life where you're saying, Jesus, you're everything to me, but don't take this? Uh, What's that one thing that you're sort of avoiding the conversation with Jesus about? Maybe some of us, that's why you just won't even pray. Because you know he's going to talk to you about that. What's that thing where you're saying, Jesus, everything, everything, but not this thing. Because you see, the logic of this parable is, when you finally have that thing of inestimable value. It doesn't matter what you give up to get it. You've gained. It doesn't matter what you've surrendered. It doesn't matter how much it cost you. You come out a winner. You might be impoverished of all earthly goods. You might be impoverished of all possessions in your heart. But if you have the precious blood of Jesus, you are rich. And you can begin to talk like the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, verse 8, where he says crazy words like this. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Which is why it's no mystery that Jesus made sure to slip in this little phrase. Verse 44, when a man found it, that treasure, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Not in his sadness and regret that he could lose so much. And not with a sense of loss breaking up with his long Love to the things of his heart and of this world. No, it's in joy. It's in the power of joy in seeing all that Christ has promised to be for us. That we give and surrender and die that we might finally truly live. Do you hear the invitation to see the king? As precious beyond measure that we might surrender all things to have that treasure. See the king as precious beyond measure. And beloved, out of the strength of joy, may we surrender all things and savor that treasure. Let's pray. So we bring our hearts. We bring our pocketbooks. We bring our calendars. We bring the true story of our lives. Even these little kings, these imposter kings that wreak tyranny in our hearts, try to rob us of joy. We bring all these things to you. And we pray that you would give us new eyes to see you as you are. King of grace, King of glory, help us to see you afresh. For some of us, for the first time, give us life, and we'll worship you and bow down and give all things over to you because you deserve it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.